You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. Today's episode is an on-air coaching call where I take a fellow yoga teacher through a mini strategy session. These on-air coaching calls are a great way to get a taste of what it's like to work with me one-on-one, but they're also a fascinating peek into the brain and business of other yoga teachers. The teachers who participate are incredibly generous and brave to allow me to share their experience, their stories on the podcast, and I have so much respect for each of them. If you would like my help with your teaching or your yoga business, I'd love to connect with you. You can find out more about my paid strategy sessions at teachingyoga.net slash coaching. You can also get peer help from other listeners on the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group. If you're not a member yet, go to teachingyoga.net slash join. And if you're curious about doing an on-air coaching call yourself and sharing your story with my podcast audience, I currently offer those opportunities to patrons of the podcast. To find out more about becoming a patron, go to teachingyoga.net slash patron. That's P-A-T-R-O-N, patron. In fact, I'd love for you to go do that right now. Pause this, and when you come back, we'll jump into today's conversation. Sophia, welcome to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. I would love to have you start by sharing a little bit about yourself and what you're trying to create. I was born in Argentina. I did all my studies over there. I studied sociology, and then I specialized in in gender studies. And I came to France. I continued my studies. And on the side, like eight years ago, I did my first yoga training as a, as a teacher. And then I always worked with women who were going through gender violence and domestic violence. And just before the, the, the COVID, I started thinking about uh, like approaching to yoga again because I kind of left it as a practice of my own. And I had this idea or like I started having curiosity about articulating these both sides, like the my my more like mental, intellectual, academic side and professional side with the yoga uh, training and the yoga, my, my spiritual side. Um, so I'm now, I just started a, a, an association here in France to offer yoga and yoga practice to women who have gone through that or who wants to to empower and so that's the idea I I started like a couple of months ago okay and you said that you were having some trouble articulating maybe the mission of your Mm -hmm. association is that right 
Can you yes. tell us a little bit more about what you've tried, where you're, where you're struggling? Yes, like mostly on the, in the, like the, I don't know how to give a yoga class without forcing like mental concepts about gender-based violence and I don't want to force it. And also I, I, I work with LGBTIQ community and I also want to make inclusion class, inclusive classes for, for everyone. So I don't want to fall into like a women who suffer gender violence. I really want to make it more inclusive and for everyone who had been through exclusion because of, uh, of their gender and their sexuality. So there is where I, I find a bit hard to make a, a clear message and without being inside the class with all that this mental information and like yeah gender violence like empowerment i it's there where i find my my problem mm -hmm. okay and in the intake form that you submitted you also mentioned that the more you think about it the more you recognize that everybody's experienced trauma and why are we separating this out? Is it necessary to separate out the different types of trauma? Am I getting that right? Exactly. Yes, that's another issue I have in my in my head. I kind of um, well, I heard a lot of the your your episodes that talk about the niche, and I kind of feel I have a connection there, and I I I want to work with. Um, this type, this specific niche, but then I don't want to force it. I, I feel like we've all been through the violent situation. And so I don't know. Yes, I don't know how to get to that niche without making them feel different from the others, because at the end, we are just people. So it sounds like you don't want to stigmatize anybody. Mm -hmm. So one of the terms that I've heard use for this population is survivors, which is a more empowering term that names the resilience that we're trying to create. And that obviously they already have some of in order to have made it through in order to be in a position to even attend a class, they had to survive something. So I don't know if that's a term that you've used before or worked with before. No, I I haven't. I could try. I still feel there's a little bit of um, like a label we're putting on people. But on the other hand, I also think that in order to get over some things, we should start naming them. So I, that's where my discussion is. You know? um, yeah, absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. You know, the thing about words and about labels is that we use them because they're useful. We, we need to categorize things. Otherwise, the world is this big jumble <laughs> and it's too complicated, right? We categorize things and we label things to simplify them. And there's no offering that you can create that's going to be the right thing for even every survivor, right? So you'll have some survivors that say to themselves, I don't want to go to a 
specific class for survivors. I'm just a human. This is just one part of my identity. I really would rather just be in a regular class that doesn't interest me. And you'll have other survivors that think to themselves, oh, how, what a relief it would be to be in a, a room of people who have this similar, have walked this similar path and who can relate to me and who aren't gonna judge me for what I've experienced. So you as the person who is trying to create, you're trying to create a, a container for healing to happen and for people to use the tools of yoga in their own way. As this creator, it's part of your work is to decide, to, to make some hard choices and to decide, well, which type of survivor is more important to you? Is it more, you know, and, and when you're creating and when you want to create an association and I am not super familiar with the structure of organizations in France. So I don't know if an association is similar in structure to what in the US we call a nonprofit. A nonprofit is a legal structure, is an organization with a legal structure that does not owe taxes because it is entirely founded on public benefit. So there's no profit, meaning that um, there's never gonna be a profit from the organization. The people working in it can get paid, but nobody owns it. It's owned publicly and it has a board of directors. And so because all the money it earns is gonna go back into that public good, it doesn't owe taxes. Is that similar to an association? Yes, yes, that's exactly what I, I wanna do. Okay, great. That's, see, this is why we need <laughs> words, right? <laughs> yes. And then when we speak different languages, we have that added complexity of needing to make sure that we understand each other's words. When you create, an association or a nonprofit, you have to have a mission, right? It's, it's mission-based. And, but even with that mission, you can't serve everyone. And so I think that's, that's the hard question that it's your job to answer as the founder. Who is more important to me at this time in, in this situation? Not that they're more important in the world, because of course, you know, everybody at their essence is equally important, but within your vision, who do you want to reach? And that's what, you know, that's what's going to guide your decisions. Yes, I think it's, it's about that, like making the decision and sticking to it. Sometimes it feels uh, like a bit scary to like really narrowing the, the niche. <laughs> but on the other hand, I, I do feel that if I leave it like, oh, I want to do an association to empower women. It's still too big and it's, I want to do that, but it's still too big. Um, yes. Absolutely. And, you know, that scariness is why not everybody does it. That's the quality of a leader is that willingness to see <laughs> that something is scary, but worthwhile and to take that step anyway, because, you know, part of what's scary about it is that we're afraid we might make the wrong decision. What I can tell you is that 
you will make wrong decisions. But if you avoid making decisions out of fear of making the wrong one, you don't learn, you don't grow, and you don't have the impact that you want to make in the world. So being willing to make the wrong decision is a key leadership skill. It's true. <laughs> yes, and even now, like, even thinking about it, thinking about the, let, let's say, survivors, it's huge inside the, the world. It's like at the beginning, I, I, I thought it was like, oh, it's going to be small. But then you have so many types of violences and so many types of experiences that, yeah, it's not narrow at all. <laughs> no, 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 no. And recognize that it's a self-definition. So some people are, could have two very similar experiences and one person identifies as a survivor, one person, let's say three people, one person is like, oh, I'm just a person. That was just something that happened to me. It doesn't identify, you know, doesn't become part of my identity. Somebody else might identify themselves as a victim. That might be a self-label that they put on themselves and somebody else might identify themselves as a survivor. So the good thing about that term is it is a way that some people identify themselves because it's very helpful when you're trying to serve people to give them a way to recognize very easily whether or not that something is for them. Mm -hmm. So when you have a term like that, that people do take on as a label, as, as part of their identity, then it becomes easier to connect with people. Because when you use a label that they use, then they know that you're talking to them. But you, you won't reach everybody who's experienced violence. You won't reach every woman or every um, LGBTQIA <laughs> member of that community either, right? It's always gonna be self-selected and the words that you choose is going to draw certain people to you. But along the way, as you see who it's drawing, you can change course if you wish. You can start using different words. You know, in, I don't know legally what the deal is with nonprofits and, and associations. I don't know if, if it's hard legally to change the mission statement, for example. But when you, you, it's very easy to change how you talk about your organization, right? And that's what people are paying attention to. So if you notice that certain words are attracting people that you're like, no, this is not actually the right fit. These people over here are the ones I really wanna work with and they're not coming, then you can learn as you go and you can change your language as you go. Mm. Then I guess it's, it's this idea or I don't want to bring so many mental concepts into the yoga practice. Um, like before, when I started giving yoga classes, I remember I gave a lot of physical instructions, um, mm. like a lot, because I thought, oh, well, people will understand what they have to do or what's happening, so they will do it or at least they know where they're going, but that's me. Mm -hmm. that's my that's my type of personality then I had students that told me well you know I, I don't need to know that like I'm just doing a lot of effort just like staying here um 
and that taught me a lot because I, I realized I was bringing all my mental dynamic into the, the practice. So I don't want to do the same thing with the, with the gender issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, I guess it's also like rereading the, the yoga um, theory and the yoga stories and like trying to re, cons- rebuild it from, from this perspective, I guess. Um, so what makes you worried that you're going to bring in too many mental constructs? Uh, because I have that tendency. <laughs> like, um, and I realize that some people just come to the practice just to have a quiet time and just like feel free. Yeah. And I don't want to like um, conditionate that through my my words. Um, just experiencing. Yeah. So you have some self-awareness around this tendency Mm. and with that self-awareness you have the capacity to course correct so as you start to teach these classes you can pay attention pay attention to your students (laughs) is this too much for them am i giving them too much do i need to shut up more you know and the answer usually is yes (laughs) for all teachers, because we just get excited and we're like, ah, this is so cool. I want to share all this. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have the exact same thing. I talk too much. I share too much when I teach. And so I've been teaching for 15 years and every time I'm like, okay, more silence, more silence. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like constantly coaching myself, more silence. Yeah. Exactly. So you can do yeah. that too. You can, you can begin imperfectly with some self-awareness that you already have that will grow with your, your intention to continue being self-aware and your intention to not overwhelm your students with mental constructs and to provide this container for them that is safe and encouraging and gives them just as much as they need to take ownership of their own healing. So it's about going for it. <laughs> and, it's about and going exploring. for it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. I then I had I just remember another thing that it's not very related, but another question I had. Um because I was hearing to another episode <laughs> where you were talking about like uh, shy, being shy as a teacher, and um, I'm shy, not in inside the, the studio or not with my the, the people that come practice with me, but I find super hard to like go and explaining my project and like um, in between uh, almost like selling it, looking for partnerships and looking for people who want to practice with me. I find it's super hard. So, so I, wa- I wanted to ask you about it because I just like it was just a, like a small phrase but it really made me realize how hard it was I was I'm finding a really hard time to believe in the project and like selling it mm-hmm. um, so yeah not very maybe not very related to the pedagogical part of the like, gender part but 
more the project and stuff? Yeah, it's an extra challenge when you are more introverted and more shy. It's an extra challenge to build a business because there are people who thrive on connecting with other people in ways that are tiring and exhausting for people who are more introverted, but we have other strengths. So each person has a unique menu or recipe of strengths. And so where you have one place where it's harder, you have another place where it's easier. Maybe you're more organized. Maybe you are, uh, the way your brain organizes thoughts is more clear, right? So what you have to do with your challenges is to get acclimated to the work. So you have to set yourself some goals and to take that action regularly enough that it doesn't, it starts to not be so hard. As an example, for a lot of people, when they first start teaching, it's very draining. Even if they love it, some people even might be extroverted, but still the mental work of holding all of the details of teaching a yoga class in the beginning, they come home and they just want to sleep. It's so much work. And so for an introverted person, you can build your capacity to reach out. You can build your capacity to talk about your project by doing it and by doing it regularly and consistently. Because if you give yourself these long gaps, if you say, just like teaching, oh, okay, I'm not going to teach for six months now, you're not building that capacity. It has to be, you have to give yourself a program and do a certain amount regularly and it will get easier. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, that's... I promise. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. <laughs> it really does. It really does. And for your experience, do you think it could work like a, a yoga practice for survivors? I think there, are, I know a lot of people here in the U.S. who are focused on that niche. I think that it would be really helpful to get funding to have as an association or in the U.S. a nonprofit. Um, you need donors, right? You need to you need people to contribute money. But sure, if you can get people to contribute money, and that's not my area of expertise. I don't know a lot about nonprofits. I don't know a lot about, um, that's like a whole world. That's <laughs> like, that's another world. But absolutely, I think it could be a beautiful nonprofit gathering people who've experienced a violent trauma and teaching them tools that will be helpful for them in their daily lives and also giving them a space of rest, a space of respite. I think it's really lovely. Yes, I think that's my priority when I was like thinking about it. I like creating a safe space. I think that's the priority of the project. Then I want it to develop as it has to like, um, 
I think it's gonna uh, it's gonna create itself. Uh, but the idea of having like a safe space where um, people could just come and feel comfortable in their own body and with others, creating a sense of community. It sounds wonderful. I hope. <laughs> yes, I'm excited about it. <laughs> I'm excited about seeing what happens. Like I, I've um, worked a lot with this topic, but body and was something that was always left on the side, like healing in in a general way, like in a holistic way was, I don't know, it was not on the plan. It was not on the menu. <laughs> um, I, I worked mostly with public policies, so it was more like a, a like structure thing, but I'm curious about, what can it can happen if we go deeper and in a more individual way in a more specific place area specific people um i'm curious i think curiosity is a perfect place to be because it leaves room for making mistakes and it leaves room for changing course midway i think you mentioned it earlier it's time to just start taking action just do it And then when you take action from a place of curiosity, then you can't go wrong because you'll learn no matter what. Yes. And I obviously like I, through all this, I, I started and I continued doing yoga because I realized I had gone through different types of violences and that helped me and that healed me. So the other side, it's also like sharing something I wasn't expecting to help me as much or to yeah, heal me as much. So you can share your story and through sharing your story, you can show others what's possible. So do you have any final questions for me? Maybe related to just the actual situation, like the COVID, because at the moment, like I started and all the, obviously we, I started I was going to give a lot of different classes in different places and they all closed and they are still closed and we don't know when they're going to open. Uh, so I started offering uh, yoga um, through Zoom, but it's not the same thing, especially if like, I have this idea of creating a community, but it's kind of hard. So just to know if you knew any like strategy to create community in this moment were hard. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, at the end of class, I would, well, first I would kind of warn them and tell them, hey, we're going to be adding a little bit of a different approach. And after the movement is over, we're going to have some, you know, some conversations. We're going to have some chats. Um, how big are the classes that we're talking about? At the moment, like the biggest is five people. Okay. One of the things you can do is tell them, you know, throughout the practice and even as you go through your day, make a note if you have any questions that come up about your practice, right? Your home, feel free to have a pen and paper right by your yoga mat. And if we do something, most people don't want to interrupt the practice to ask a question, but write that question down. And then at the end of class, you can introduce a topic of conversation and also make space and time for questions. Because I think it's that back and forth relationship that creates the sense of community. So 
what I would do in the very beginning is make your questions like very easy to answer and things, you know, there's certain things that people just love to give their opinions about. (laughs) And if you can figure some of those out and start with those and you just get the momentum going a little bit. And then you say, okay, if anybody has any questions, you know, feel free to ask, feel free to type them into the chat if you prefer. And that's, that's what I would do. People are, I wouldn't do this at the beginning because in the beginning of practice, we're kind of more in our heads, but by the end, we're kind of loose and open and really ready to connect. Mm -hmm. So another thing you could do is you could, I mean, if the people that you're working with are on social media somewhere, like if they're on Facebook, you could create a little group for them. That, whether or not that would fly, highly depends on the people. Like some people love social media and love talking on social media and sharing on there. Some just won't. So my first recommendation would be to talk after class and to you kind of facilitate and guide the talk so that it's not just awkward and weird. That's a good idea. Yes, I'll try that. Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for asking the question and for having this passion, because this is a really wonderful vision that you have. And I'm excited to stay in touch. And I would love for you to, you know, keep me updated on on how this turns out, like what you end up creating here. Thank you a lot. You're so welcome. All right, my dear, I'll look forward to hearing from you uh, anytime that you have updates for me, just. Yes, I will. I'll, I'll keep you, I'll keep you posted. Wonderful. Bye. Have a good day. Bye, Sophia. Thank you again to the generous and courageous yoga teachers who participate in these coaching calls. I've had so many listeners reach out to let me know how helpful they are. And that would not be possible without the passion and vulnerability that you embody. And I also want to give a huge thank you to the patrons of the podcast who contribute to the expenses on a monthly basis. If you're curious about deepening your connection to this community and becoming a patron, I hope you'll go to teachingyoga.net slash patron to find out about all of the perks and benefits of becoming a patron. I'm so very, very grateful to have you as a listener, and I would be incredibly delighted and honored to also have you as a patron. Keeping these podcast episodes free from outside ads is really important to me, and the patrons of the podcast are what make that possible. Once again, the link to get all the details and to sign up is teachingyoga.net slash patron. And whether or not contributing to the podcast is something you're interested in, or is a possibility for you in this moment. I hope that you'll remember to center your own self-care and your personal practice this week. And I'll see you next week for another episode of the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast.